it was just the most, it was the biggest adrenaline rush, dopamine hit, chemical rush I've ever associated or experienced with a brand and I'm probably sure I ever will because that launch strategy was just insane, so much fun, insane. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet, explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another special interview. It is the morning here in the UK, and that is because I've got our special guest, Greta Van Riel, live streaming from Australia. I don't know why I pointed that way. I think probably Australia's in that way in my head. <laughs> anyway, I'm super excited about this interview. Greta is a bit of a rock star. She's got five multi-million brand, dollar brands under her belt. She is one of the top 30 influencers um, in Australia, I think on LinkedIn, one of the most um, viewed profiles there. She's got a huge, huge, huge Instagram following. She's connected with Founder Magazine and she's teaching students all about e-commerce. In her spare time, if that's not enough, she is an influencer traveling around the world because big brands want to know what she thinks and what her opinion is. She's a fantastic person and I cannot wait for this interview. Greta, how are you? Good, thanks. We're on very different time zones today. We are. We are. What time is it there? 4.54 p.m., so nearly 5 p.m. And where is there? There is Melbourne, Australia, and we're in my house at the moment. Nice. And uh, and what a lovely frame. For those of you just listening, you're missing out by not watching the video of this uh, this interview because we have just, just a lovely like, <laughs> movie scene background. Um, it truly is fantastic and so um Greta uh you know we were chatting off air we you know what's to come you you know um the kind of uh outline of this interview obviously we don't know what we're going to talk about but we've got to find a logical starting point and often with um some of the entrepreneurs some of the uh, really special people that we we speak about there's a really good struggle somewhere in the past potentially when um that uh entrepreneur evolved maybe maybe leveled up from from employee to employer that's often a good one is there a, a logical time in your past where we can kick off this um this interview kick off your story and if so when is it where is it and, and what are you doing describe it for us yeah of course uh so it'd be in 2012 so i was working full-time as a digital marketing manager at a agency in the city in Melbourne and they were a traditionally print-based agency that were turning toward digital more so. So I was helping lead that sort of digital transition and I don't know, I just, it was my first time working in a full-time role and I just, I didn't necessarily like having people telling me what I should be doing when I was probably an immature 22-year-old and thought that I knew everything that I needed to be doing myself. Um, and so I was working on just, I had like a list of ideas in a, well, I think a Word doc. And one of them was I'd been making blends of tea uh, for myself and my friends and the, then the people around the office. And they were getting really popular just amongst my friends and colleagues. And 
I was just inundated with orders all the time from them, but I was just making them for free because I found it really difficult to ask friends and colleagues and family for money. So I was like, what is a less awkward way to ask these people for money? And I was like, well, maybe I could just create an online store for the product and then they can just check out and buy and, you know, it doesn't have to be an exchange. Um, And so I put up a website, uh, it only took me around a day, I used Shopify to do that. And um, the next morning, uh, so I posted to Instagram, I created a Instagram account in that in those days creating an Instagram account for your business was just literally changing the handle to your brand name there was no difference between personal or business accounts um and so I just created an account for skinny me tea I followed a ton of people and they would follow me back because it was the old days of Instagram uh and there were no rate limits or anything like that so you could follow an unlimited amount of people uh and I think, yeah, so I posted to Instagram, I launched the store and four people bought the tea that night and they were people that I didn't even know. And I was like, cool, you know, bit of weekend spending money, that's handy. Uh, And then, you know, the more our Instagram followers grew, the more our sales grew in return and I realised that it was something I really did need to focus on. So I had to quit my job. I'd only been there for I think like under around three months, I think. Um, and so I quit my job and everyone was like, oh, Greta, that's such a great job right out of uni. You cannot quit it. And so I just basically didn't tell them and quit anyway. So that was how I got out of that. So I'm presuming you told your boss you quit, right? Oh, I told my boss. Yeah. (laughs) He was super supportive. (laughs) And so, um, that must've been incredible. And so, so you were getting all of these orders coming in and, um, and also working the, the nine to five at the same time. How did you manage that? Um, well, basically, we, I accidentally, I guess, stumbled across a pre-sale model because during the week I would take the orders uh, and I'd respond to, you know, the bare minimum of customer service that I could. And then on weekends I would fulfil the orders and I was still mixing and making the tea and packaging it all by hand at that stage. So I would just go and buy the raw ingredients. So the cool part was there was like zero startup capital. I was in a free Shopify plan. I think the only thing I really paid for before I started my business was a domain. So it was like $10 or whatever that is, uh, .com.au, I think it was about 12 uh, So that was basically my startup cost at the time. And Instagram was, you know, a free, really open, organic growth platform at the time. And uh, we just started growing from there. And I just, you know... It was really simple. And because I knew so little about business, it was so much more simple. I think people overcomplicate things. And a lot of the time, it's just focusing down on just one channel that performs well for you. And Instagram was performing well. And I was just like, well, the more followers we get on Instagram, the more sales we make. So I'll just focus on growing our Instagram followers. So um, we started to do, back in 2012, we're doing tag to win giveaways so um you know those giveaways on instagram where you tag a friend and you both have to be following the brand to win we just give away really simple little prize packs uh like two packs of tea things like that and 2012 after a couple of months was um i guess that's when i discovered uh, influencer marketing for the first time and i think so many people have this story where you just stumble across it and you're like what is this i didn't read any marketing blogs or know you know where to look to look at you know the hot new 
marketing techniques or channels or anything like that. Uh, just a girl from Tasmania actually bought our tea and she had, this is 2012 though, but she had a thousand followers on Instagram, which constituted an influencer at the time. And she posted and we had our biggest day of sales ever because and I, I hadn't asked her to post either, but she posted just being like feeling so much more energetic, you know, lost a couple of kilos, like, you know, here's my before and after photo. And I'd been steering a little bit away as well from using before and after photos at that time and they exploded our growth and so did influencer marketing. So I was like, every time I saw a new influencer that had over a 1,000 followers and fit our demographic, I would just reach straight out to them and be like, hey, do you want to try our tea? So we started growing our influencer strategy from there. Fantastic. And so where did the name come from, Skinny Me Tea? Well, I think the concept itself that that was my real kind of aha moment when I suddenly thought of like an actual name for what the product would be because it was a tea and it was a detox and so I put those words together and made it a tea tox. Uh, so this that kind of came first uh, and then the skinny me tea was just everyone at the office had just been calling it skinny tea like can you give me some more of your skinny tea because people kept losing weight from it. It wasn't even meant to be necessarily a weight loss tea to begin with. It was literally just meant to be a detox to kind of reset your system and get you like thinking healthier thoughts and craving healthier foods and whatever else. So really the skinny part just came from the customer feedback. So I don't know, I just thought skinny me tea sounded cute. But I mean, the name itself is being quite, I guess, controversial or it's quite contrarian at least because... In 2012, there was just very different communications, very different connotations around different words. And skinny had a very different meaning to what people would see that as now. So now people are like, you shouldn't tell me to be skinny. But at the time, it was more like skinny milk, you know, skinny martinis, skinny whatever. Like, Mm. it was just what you called things. So, yeah, I guess, like, there was a bit of a cultural difference at the time. Well, there's definitely no... um, uh problem with, with me i'd love to be skinny i just just like food too much so um <laughs> definitely no dramas here um so, <laughs> so how did um let's fast forward a little bit um how did skinny me tea um evolve out and um and how did you uh, begin to transition on to to the next thing whatever that is So we grew really, really quickly. And after six months, we were doing $600,000 in revenue a month. Uh, And to me, as a 22-year-old that had never seen any money in my life, my parents are social workers. So I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, Not that that's important at all. Um, But it's just, you know, I didn't necessarily come from a background that understood that and definitely not a business background. Like nobody in my family has really had a business before, like in my immediate family. Uh, So I don't know. I just kind of, I was overwhelmed, I guess, by that. And my biggest fear was that it had all happened seemingly kind of overnight and it was just out of control growing I didn't even know how to stop it if I wanted to. Sometimes I did want to. And we'd be like, okay, guys, I'm going away on a holiday for like five days. So get your orders in now. And the scarcity would mean I couldn't even go away because we'd get like a month's worth of orders in that night because they'd be like, oh, what do you mean you're going away? I need the tea. Like, 
So I didn't even realize that that was scarcity at the time. I learned a lot before I started my next business. So I started my next company two years later. Um, I guess it was in response to that fear. Like my biggest, like I said, my biggest fear was it all started overnight. It could come crashing down just as fast. And it took, I guess, until a friend in Hong Kong said to me, I was living in Hong Kong at the time by then, um, said to me, like, Greta, like, today is Thursday. If everything went under tomorrow, which is Friday, what would you be doing on Monday? And I was like, it was just the most instant answer. I was like, starting again, of course I would. So I think, like, the biggest mitigator to fear for me was understanding that everything I was learning was experience and even if worse came to worst, I would start again, like, if you know, the following week or, you know, might take longer, depending on what happened. But, um, yeah, so I guess then I, I, I guess that made me come to the realisation that everything that I was doing was repeatable. So I decided to repeat it. And so I started the fifth watches in 2014. At the end of 2014, we launched on December the 5th, 2014. Uh, and we'd received the watches on the third of the month. And we're like, oh, let's just wait till the fifth because, you know, it's an extra couple of days and we are called the fifth. And we didn't even necessarily have our sales model yet, but I'll tell you about that in a sec. So basically, we launched on the 5th of December, which was my co-founder's birthday as well, which is a great birthday. And we sold out of all of our stock in that day. And we're like, so that was over $100,000 revenue in that single day. And we're like, uh, now what? We have, because we had a wait list that we'd built up from an Instagram account that we'd built up. So we'd built up a following of 70,000 followers on Instagram before we launched. And out of those 70,000, we'd converted... 8,500 around uh, into our wait list for the product. Um, so we were like, oh, gosh, like we've sold 1,200 watches, I think it was. We are like, there's like 7,000 people that are going to want to kill us and they're never going to want to buy from our brand again and whatever else. And kind of I guess one of my favourite marketing strategies or communication strategies is like thinking about ways to turn negatives into positives or things that seemed accidental into intentional actions and so I was like what if we say we're called the fifth and little did you know or little did even we know that we're called the fifth because we only sell on the fifth of each month for five days or until sold out earlier and so that became our entire value proposition for our brand and it meant that we could grow really quite organically because we weren't shoving I guess a marketing message or a sales message down our consumers throat for 25 days of the month and then there was a really relevant clear reason to shop at the end of it and during the month there was an extremely relevant clear reason to sign up as well so it was pretty cool it became I guess yeah the entire value pro proposition of the brand what an amazing accident um it was a cool one genius you must you must you couldn't have um felt prouder of yourself since and uh, now how am i trying to say this i bet that was the best idea in your mind that was the best idea you'd had since you came up with t-tox yeah no that was was an amazing moment i remember writing the email we were sitting there and my co-founder and his brother who was our first employee actually was sitting with me and we read it and i read it out and we all got goosebumps it was just like 
such a powerful moment and it, it was such a it was such a fun brand too because every month was like a new launch it was like you got to launch the brand again and again and again mm. uh but i've exited the fifth now i've sold my shares in the fifth um just i started it with my ex-boyfriend so kind of once we broke up one of us was probably going to have to move on and i had a few other things going on by then um and so i was the one to go fair enough but let's yeah. let's let's um let's go back so so you um so on the 5th of december 2014 you um yeah. you launched you'd, you'd already got um you'd already built a, a social uh, instagram account up to like seventy thousand. you'd got eight thousand on were, were they pre-orders or is it a wait list or what what, what was just that? a wait list yeah an email wait list a wait list and and then you launched on the fifth and sold 1200 um of these watches so i mean i think i feel like we might have missed a couple of steps so first off like why watches and then what led you into this sort of um pre-launch strategy and what was it that you were really building like seventy thousand people who like yeah, so I guess the watches was more so my co-founder's passion. Uh, he was very much the product-driven person and I was more so the market side. Uh, and as I said, we were dating and he'd be running ideas past me and I'd be like, oh, I would do it like this. I'd do that bit like that and I'd do that bit like that. And then it got to, I guess, like a couple of months into that process of like working closely together on the brand and he's like, I feel like you should probably be doing this brand with me like you know you've given me a lot and I was like yeah actually it would be cool to do it um so then we ended up 50 50 shareholders uh so it was more so the watch side came a lot more so from him uh but yeah I guess we moved forward from there when we were building up the page, so basically I say page because we were building more of what I call a vertical account. So um, it's a, just a page within a niche, um, you know, so like an influencer's page might be someone who's a car driver, a professional car driver, but the vertical page might be at cars or something like that. Um, so... I have a ton of different vertical accounts that I've built up over the years. So I started with Skinny Me Tea. Basically what happened was at the end, at the start of 2013, our account got hacked and deleted by like someone, you know, in the Netherlands, but, you know, VPN, wherever. Uh, and I was, and there was no way to get onto Instagram at all at that time. Uh, you could try, but they had zero contact. Um, so we basically just had to be like, you know, okay, let's start over, um, which was pretty devastating because mm. 200,000 followers at that time would be the equivalent of, gosh, like probably 2 million followers now. Mm. Like I think by the end of 2012, Justin Bieber had like 400,000 followers. So that's the equivalent. Yeah. We were like half the size of him. So, yeah, it was pretty bad. But, again, from I guess that negative or that loss or that mistake, I kind of learnt um, again to more so diversify the risk. And so I started to grow up a lot of different accounts in a lot of different spaces. So mostly across like health and fitness and eating and exercise. So combined across all of my different vertical accounts on Instagram, 
uh, including my personal account and including my brand accounts. I have uh, over 16 million followers across all of those accounts. Uh, And so clearly that helped a lot, but a lot of them are in the health space and things like that. So it was like, would someone in the health space want to buy a watch? Uh, Like how do we find, you know, that type of customer? Um, So we were more so giving away, we did some giveaways to kick off the growth of the page and we were giving away, you know, just related things that we'd be like, yeah, sure, someone that would wear our watch would wear these Nikes, we'll give them away. Or And sometimes that really non-targeted approach can be really negative for an account, but watches were just trending so hard in 2014 as well. Almost everyone wanted one anyway, so it didn't really matter that it was a health account or whatever else. And at the end of the day, consumers shop emotionally and then they justify rationally. So if you can find an emotional in or a way to build a relationship with that consumer uh, that's larger than watches, you know, it might be around travel or it might be around time and the concept of enjoying every moment or time well spent, for example, uh, then you can really connect. So. I think that we just found some commonalities that people shared and we use those um, to get interest and start to build a, a nurturing sort of organic relationship with our customer. Phenomenal. Um, what an amazing um, like journey and like such such success. And I'm still, my, my mind is still reeling from the just selling on the fifth. I mean, that's so amazing. And, and like you said, it was um, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I like that. On our, so on our first birthday with that business, we did a million dollars in revenue in a single day, which was insane. And like around a quarter of that was in the first minute. (laughs) So happy birthday. So it was just the most, it was the biggest adrenaline rush, dopamine hit, whatever you're attaching, the biggest chemical rush, uh, I've ever associated or experienced with a brand and I'm probably sure I ever will because that launch strategy was just insane so much fun insane I absolutely love I don't I don't know if you would have um, at that point still kept your like Shopify notifications on but I absolutely love it when the phone can't cope with how quickly they're coming it in and it just, yeah it just it just sort of goes at you as it sort of oh, thing, we basically it goes wrong. crashed Shopify because of it <laughs> and we were on the phone to Shopify support and they were saying refresh your screen refresh your screen we're like we are refreshing guys <laughs> it's not working we're not taking any sales um that wasn't on our first birthday though that happened a couple of times the months leading up to that uh so then it finally didn't happen and then we finally got to hit that million dollars in a day and we're like good life complete (laughs) tick so um so you exited that business and um and so now you know you must be feeling pretty confident about your ability to absolutely destroy the internet in a good way um with sales what what was the next thing um, that you like started turning your attention to? So I guess like the number one way that we'd grown had been through influencer marketing, and we were managing our relationships like every brand was at the time, just you know all over the place in email and Instagram DM, just everywhere, Messenger, WhatsApp, anywhere that influencers wanted to talk to you, just like go and be like, okay, sure, I'll speak to you there. Um, so it was just very decentralized all over the place. Uh, and I started to work on 
kind of an in-house tool so that we could start to manage our own influencer relationships. And then the feature set started growing and then it's kept growing and kept growing, kept growing. And I was like, to make this viable for us to build in-house, we need to sell it to other brands as well. So that's when I started my influencer marketing platform, uh, which is my main focus right now, um, growing that. Uh, That's called Hey Influencers, like H-E-Y, hello. Uh, So basically it's a bit like a dating app for influencers and brands. So a brand can go on there, they create a campaign, influencers can hey that campaign if they're interested. If a brand is interested as well, they can hey them back. Brands can also search through our database of influencers and hey them themselves if they make their kind of campaign requirements. Uh, and then they can match and chat to collaborate. So I didn't want to create like a basic marketplace or a basic CRM kind of structure for this because the main thing in influencer marketing and the main thing in basically any marketing is relationship building. And so it was very much about you know, what's the best tech, what's the best platform that we can build to build longer lasting, better relationships with our influencers on behalf of our brand. And to date, basically, like marketplaces are all very well for things like cars or things like houses, but they're not so great when it comes to people and relationship building. The best technology that has been built ever, I'm just going to say this century, well, clearly ever, uh, has been the dating app. So that has been the fastest way for people to be able to scale and connect and communicate relationships at an unprecedented rate. So that's why we just designed the platform a lot more like a dating app. So that uh, is a focus of mine at the moment. Uh, We're also working on a really, really cool new tool, which is called our scanner, um, which is coming out in a couple of months and basically brands will be able to scan their customer database, their email database and their social channels and identify influencers above 5,000 followers through that. And it will come up with a sortable list. And if you want to reach out to them at scale and, hey, you know, 1,000, 2,000 influencers at the same time, you can do that through our platform. So that is a bit fun. I'm really excited for that tool. Just I just build things that I want to use. I'm like, oh, I want to know, you know, we have, you know, 300,000 followers on a brand account, for example. I don't know who, you know, exactly is following us. Like sometimes you just stumble across someone. You're like, oh, whoever, like, you know, some celebrity is following that page. I had no idea. How cool. Um, So that tool will identify that. But outside of, hey, I have started two other e-com brands as well. So, one is called Drop Bottle. So that was my next brand after the fifth that I started. So basically Drop Bottle, like I was talking about earlier with the vertical Instagram accounts, uh, I've got one called Detox Water. Uh, and it was basically like a trend that I saw on Pinterest just of like, it's so simple, people putting fruit in their water to infuse it. Um, I guess just, you know, to make their water taste better, to infuse vitamins into their water. Um and make it look better as well. Um, So I started a page on Instagram called Detox Water and within four months we'd grown that page to 800,000 followers. And so I was like, this trend is like out of control. Like what is a product that I can create off the back of this audience? So that was interesting because that was the first time I'd really properly created like used, I guess, an audience-driven approach to 
coming up with a product idea. So like audience first, product second, which I guess is flipping traditional models a bit on its head in a way because, you know, usually, you know, you refer to things like product market fit and you're like, okay, I've got a product. How do I find who to market it to? But at the same time, that is, I guess, the great myth of e-commerce, like the build it and they will come sort of mentality, like it's build it and they won't come basically. Like if you are not working on a community or an audience kind of at least concurrently to building your product, then, you know, you're more than likely not to have the launch that you really want. So I focus on building a strong social community, uh, but ideally the best thing that you're going to be able to build is your email database. So social is great, but it's more top of the funnel awareness stage, of course, uh, uh, but email is much more conversion driven. So, so what are some of your favorite ways to get your um, your your vertical social um, accounts um, or handles or how, however you want to refer them into your email list? Like, what what's what's your favorite driver to to help them take that step? Yeah, I mean, incentivization will probably be the biggest one always. Like people need a reason to do something and that incentive doesn't have to just be something obvious like a giveaway or a discount or a free gift with purchase. That incentive can also be a real need or drive to have to perform that action. So, for example, we're only launching this new range or we're only launching these products exclusively to these people so get in for that reason so you know exclusivity and scarcity are going to be your two biggest drivers when it comes to converting well you know social or any traffic across into your email subscribers or across to where you want them to go Uh, but again yeah giveaways do um work very very well as well we did this one with the fifth where we gave a watch away a day for 14 days we use this platform called gleam g-l-e-a-m dot io and we collected eighty thousand emails off the back of that and that was basically just converting our social followers over into our email subscribers so they would earn points for performing certain actions and signing up to our email database was like the first step in the campaign so you had to do that to be entered and then you could perform all different steps so that was building I just I think that a certain extent of your like a successful competition to convert leads um, across from social into email the first step of course is getting the email the next step is getting that competition further and further out there. So most of the steps after we collected their email were just about referring friends, about sharing a tweet, about, you know, sharing a post to Facebook, about sharing, you know, a, there wasn't even stories at that exact time, about sharing a post to Instagram. So I think like one of the sides, like in any given competition, you want to be getting them to perform the action that you want, but you also want to be like getting them to proliferate that competition as well. So like 50-50. Fantastic. And so, um, so you're, uh, you've, you've got Hey Influencer, um, your, your agency. Um, was, was that, um, so that be, the, the start of that journey, was that the end of your e-commerce stores or did you um, start? No, no. Um, Oh, well, Skin Talks, so the last brand. Uh, well, 
Wait, so drop bottle came off the back of detox water and that was growing. It was ticking along nicely. Like it was doing quite well. But then Oprah found us through social media and chose us as one of her favorite things for her Christmas campaign and we were front page of Amazon for a week. So that just exploded the brand. So that's been amazing. Um, The brand's been out of stock for a little bit at the moment, but that has been because of a trademark dispute, the drop on our bottle, which is a bit of a killer. Um, But we've just redone the lids, basically, of the bottle to not include the drop because we're like, we're not really going to fight you on it. Go for it. Uh, They let us sell out of product at least. Um, But, yeah, so we did a bit of a redesign and that'll be back out within a month. So that'll be awesome. I'm really excited. We've collected so many emails while it's been a little stagnant. But, I I mean, yeah, so no, just so Skinny Me Tea, Drop Bottle and Skin Tox, which is um, basically we had a really popular tea, which is our complexion tea, and we wanted to create skincare products that like the complexion tea was helping people I guess, you know, glow from the inside out and we wanted to do the outside in as well. So we created a range of products that help your skin detox uh, through topical application. Uh, So they're the brands at the moment. Uh, Outside of that, I will be launching a couple of new e-com brands fairly soon. So that should be exciting. And I run an e-commerce course with Founder as well. So... That's great. It's always awesome to come. That's how I met, you know, Brandon and Justin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From yeah. So I met those guys through that course because they won our kind of. I guess you know how Shopify has like a build a business competition. Uh, they won our version of that through the founder course. So that's how I got to connect with those guys. And yes, yeah, so I've met some incredible people through teaching that course, and I think we've had over. Or nearly 6,000 students go through the course now, which has been amazing. It's just, it has been seriously one of the most rewarding things that I've done because it's incredible just watching people build brands. Like Mm. I just sit in the group sometimes and I'm in awe of what people are building. It's incredible. Students have been doing so, so well. So that's been great. Amazing. Um, okay, and so part of the reason that we are um, on this call, um, the elephant in the room, if you like, um, is that we've got a event coming up. Um, uh, we are um, taking off to Kosamui. I'm going to learn how to pronounce it. Pronounce that. Um, Kosamui. Kosamui. I'll go with that. Um, yeah, which is a beautiful island off the coast of Thailand, where um, uh, the, the the mastermind um, the, of which uh, I co-founded with uh, my business partners Will, Brandon, who you mentioned, and Daniel, um, we're holding our fifth event. It's going to be a, a glorious, luxurious event. We've got the largest villa in Southeast Asia. We've got um, one member of staff for every two attendees. Private beach, hot tubs something like 28 independent um, chalets for our attendees um, and absolute rock star uh, speakers. And I say speakers, but really it's amazing people that are coming, um, you know, and joining in the culture, um, joining in the meals and the sessions and participating. And so as part of the reason we're, do- we're, we're doing this call today, how are you feeling about the event? I cannot wait. I 
was meant to go away this month to Italy to escape the cold of Australia right now because it's our winter at the moment. And I had to give that a miss, just had a lot of work stuff on and so did my partner. And so I didn't get my son holiday and now I am going to, which is so exciting. But I mean, you know, it could be anywhere. It's just such a plus that you guys are somewhere tropical and incredible and amazing that I would go, you know, to some gross little meeting room in a hotel in the middle of nowhere to meet with minds like the ones that are attending so I'm just really excited to share as much as I possibly can with people that are there and I'm also excited to yeah learn from other people as well I can't wait to hear everyone's stories and I think you just form such incredible business relationships and personal relationships when you do do things like that so I guess they're the main things I'm really pumped for Oh yes, and um, do you have a few uh, perhaps never never shared before nuggets that you've got in mind that you're gonna you're gonna drop just to be like boom I'm here the master's arrived. Oh, I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be. Um, I I think just it's good in that climate because a lot of the time a lot of what you share is extremely public. So, you know, an interview is going to go onto podcasting. It's going, you know, it's apps. It's going to go onto YouTube. I can share, you know, a lot more of the, I guess, more private things uh, that you're not, you know, necessarily able to share over a format like a podcast or an interview or something like that. Not that I'm there's not really things that I deliberately don't, but I think it's just that level of detail of being in the same room as someone else. You can go into things step by step and really break them down because some things require, like, you know, some of your questions I probably could have taken like an hour to answer each. Mm. So I guess it'll just be really breaking down the things that are working, that aren't working, um, and the things that have been, you know, helping achieve some explosive growth. Exactly. And yeah, exactly. It's, it's not about withholding things, but it's just about being able to go to that granular level um, for the, whatever the, uh, the discussion that is taking place um, in that moment. Yeah. Um, naturally, exactly. big interviews, you have to keep it um, fairly, fairly broad in order to um, help as many people as, as possible. And so exactly what you said, I mean, you, you know, the, these, these events would absolutely work in, you know, a, a basement room in the bottom of a hotel in um, yeah, I was thinking one of those hideous convention rooms where they yeah. give you like the gross sandwiches and the coffee from the thing. I'm like, yeah. I'd still go to meet you guys. <laughs> and, and, and sweaty Steve comes up and wants to meet you, that guy. But but, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it would absolutely work in that scenario, but we don't choose to do it in those scenarios. And actually, um, one of our attendees said it best. In, in January, we were in the Dominican Republic and we um, released this incredible uh, palace and it had peacocks roaming and it was beautiful. And one of Fine. the attendees said it best. Um, he said, that just being in that environment, being masterminding, um, you know, doing these sessions um, in a sun-kissed section of, of the palace, um, you know, surrounded by you, surrounded, it just forces you to, to you know, think bigger, to, to uh, you know, to uh, your, it's your mindset shift right off the bat. For him, yeah. it was it was like, I want to own this place and I'm going to own mm. this place, right? And um, Definitely an aspirational um, thing about being an incredible destination and uh, yeah, of course you know and then there's the sun and um do you like thai food as well yeah i love thai food i've been to thailand quite a few times like this would be my 
fourth time, I think, going. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, yeah, make sure, I love uh, Thailand. Make sure you let um, our five-star chef know exactly what it is you want, um, and it'll be Incredible. happy to oblige. So, um, at 3 a.m. Oh, I'll join you on that one. Probably, probably jet lag. Or, uh, I'll be like, well, lunch, right? Lunch. So, like, so uh, <laughs> coming from, from the other side of the world. Do you know, um, actually, that's not important. That's, a, that's an off air kind of thing to, um, to <laughs> We'll chat about it later. We'll chat about it's, it's one of those things which I'm not going to bore everybody on the podcast with something so stupid that I was going to say. So, um, so you're going to be um hanging out with us and hanging out um with the other speakers by the way we've got some great other people coming in as well like um you know just the the attendees the, the speakers absolutely um awesome so guys before we move on to the uh, the next step of this if you're interested in um learning a little bit more about this particular event and it's not in fact already past mid-september um then check out cartelsmastermind.com that'll probably be the last time we use that url with one of our events so enjoy that as well before we archive it and um should we move on to the quick fire question part of this interview what do you reckon let's do it let's do it okay cool what i've started doing just because i'm a little bit nerdy is asking my guests to give me two thumbs up for the questions are you ready is this it? There we go. There <laughs> Am we go. I doing it? You're doing it. You're doing it. There was a bit of lag and I thought you were rebelling. <laughs> I thought you were going, no, I'm not, I'm not doing oh, I'm that. not rebelling. I'm not like, no, I'm too good for the thumbs up. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. I'm the biggest nerd, so I'm not there with you. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so um, I, I call it a, quick, a rapid fire question round. I'm going to ask the questions quickly. You feel free to take as long as you want. And we may, may go off on a tangent and stuff because... I'll answer know, them quick enough. That's fine. We'll be right. So we're going to kick off with, are there any unusual things that you eat or drink regularly and why? I think, well, I'm Australian and we have this thing in Australia called Vegemite. Do you, you guys have Marmite. We have Marmite. I think there was just like some giant Twitter fight between the two companies or something actually. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure about it. I think. I think you can buy both in our supermarkets. I can't. I don't think I yeah. can really tell the difference. But are you a big fan of Vegemite? I am, and I have it in the morning quite often. Probably like two or three days a week. I have Vegemite with avocado on toast. Oh, that's an interesting. Quite strange, but I enjoy the saltiness of the Vegemite, and then with the avocado. So I guess that's a weird food. People, when I order it at a cafe, they're often like, "Okay, sure." You can order things like that, I suppose. I suppose they've got the raw ingredients. Yeah, I mean, they have Vegemite, they have avocado. They can put them on a piece of toast for me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you do you have any strong feelings when you go into a restaurant? Say you've got an order like that, and um, but the person taking the order's got an iPad and they don't have a button for it, and they say, "Sorry, like sorry, computer says no." Do you do do you have any feelings about that sort of scenario? Yeah, no, I guess. I don't think it happens as much. They mostly in Australia in cafes, they just take down the notes. And I hate it when I'm ordering, like often what I get for breakfast would be like 10 different sides. I'll be like, okay, I want the eggs. I want the halloumi. I want avocado. I want a hash brown. I want this and this and this. And I order like all these sides. And then my boyfriend does the exact same as well. And because we have breakfast together a bit and they haven't got a pen or paper. And I'm like, you are going to screw it up. I just ordered, you, there's like 20 items in your brain right now and you're trying to sort them between both of us. I'm like, and then I feel like a bitch if I'm like, 
could you please just, I think you're just going to need to get a pen and paper out. Because so many times I've been, I've wanted to say that, except then they haven't done it and then they've screwed up my whole order. And I'm like, yeah. I told you so. You're just trying to avoid a future conflict by um, just suggesting that they write it Exactly. Because um, I'm really not, I'm not the type to be like, okay, send my food back. I'll be like, okay, I'll just deal with it. And Lucas <laughs> would like crack it and be like, this is too cold, send it back. Uh, so very different in that way. I like it. But Vegemite and avocado on toast. Yeah, a bit weird. Gonna, you should try it. it. I'm going to give it a go. Marmite. Pretty good. <laughs> well, Marmite's a bit sweeter, isn't it? Sort of. I don't know. Anyway, we should probably I'll, stop talking about Vegemite and Marmite. Might do a taste <laughs> test of both. Well, I think this is gold. I think this is, you know, absolutely. People are learning from, from this. So it's absolutely great. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> take notes, guys. Please take notes. <laughs> How do you get yourself into a state of flow? I guess... I don't know. I think pressure just puts me into a state of flow. I, I'm not the type of person that can just do something if there's no deadline. So a lot of the time, even if I'm just locking something into my calendar to make myself do it in that way, uh, outside of that, the usual sort of things, you know, putting my little, I've got my AirPods in, you know, listening to different playlists, depending, I think, I've learned to be more and more sensitive to what my mood really needs. Like a lot of the time I'm like, okay, I just, you know, I want to be constantly like pumped up and excited. And so, but now I think I'm learning the times where I'm like, I am over pumped up. I'm over excited. I need to calm down. And so I kind of realize when I need to listen to a more chilled out playlist versus a pump up sort of playlist. Because I think previously I just used to be like, okay, go, go, go. Like, drink coffee and like do this do this do this and it's all just super high energy high adrenaline sort of things um and yeah I think now I'm realizing more and more why it's important to have uptime and downtime I, th- I think that's absolutely um well put like you know ups and downs you know what goes up must come down and so on and and um you know mm. often um uh, I'll, I'll have days where, for example, I'll have what I call modafinil days. Very rare, but modafinil is a really, really great <laughs> nootropic and, um, and prescribed for something before. completely different. It does not go well with me. <laughs> well, you have a really productive day, but you need to schedule like the next day to be a little bit oh. uh, a little bit eased off, you know. Um, I say you're borrowing time from your future self, basically. Exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, And so, you know, what goes up must come down, and I like that. And so, so do you have different playlists um in your in your airpods yay apple um for um different <laughs> moods or don't don't screw <laughs> with me with the apple reference um yeah no i do just in spotify i just have a ton of different playlists uh for all different types of things um like jazz classical even i grew up around a lot of jazz my dad is a big fan of jazz so i love jazz uh and then I just, you know, I have just all different, like, I guess that they would obviously be a bit more chilled out. I guess jazz is like mid zone. They could be pretty intense <laughs> jazz music as well. But uh, outside of that, yeah, just, you know, classic charts, rap caviar, the best rap playlist on Spotify. Ooh. I think it's got like 11 and a half million followers. It's, it's really interesting. I was to reading say that. this article on how it was like a marketing mechanism for Spotify. Like people literally 
are so obsessed with this playlist, they're signing up for Spotify accounts just to be able to subscribe to this playlist because it's wow. the only place that it is. And so they're getting people to curate playlists and now Apple Music are trying to get a couple of other guys to curate this, like, competing playlist with it um, and it's just not quite working out. That's, that's super interesting. In fact, Daniel, who's one of the uh, one of the co-founders um, of this mastermind, he actually owns Instagram at Rap and um, has a tremendously oh, successful, Snow. yeah, a tremendously successful yeah, yeah. rap playlist on um, Spotify as well. But, Incredible. Um, either way, uh, you know, we should definitely be swapping playlists. I've got a few playlists for the ups and the downs and and so on. But okay, perfect. I'll send you some. Some of mine might be a bit embarrassing, though. <laughs> <laughs> like it. I like it. I definitely some. I, I think there's definitely some uh, Disney that might have slipped through my net. So that's fine. I'm down with the embarrassment. Um, <laughs> what habit or opinion do you have that other people tend to disagree with? Wow. Yeah, that's. I'm not going to be quick fire on that one. Uh, I don't know. It's not like everybody disagrees with it, but some people may disagree with it. Like you feel quite strongly and other people are gone, ah, you know, when they've gone high pitch, like ah, suggest that they might yeah. disagree with it. I guess it probably happens quite a lot. I just haven't really necessarily <laughs> taken note or heed. <laughs> just assumed, you know, no, everyone agrees with me. I'm always... It's so the, the this question is designed to eke out something which um, uh, I mean I'm I'm guessing that you 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 know you're someone that has a lot of friends doesn't like um, I mean just just like you said with the waiter waiting staff with the, with all the sides and so on like you don't necessarily want to step on people's toes and so it's not necessarily like oh you know you're a firm believer of something um, horrendous but like earlier on you said you know the myth build it and they will come I would suggest is is an example of um, something whereby um, you, you, you're going against what the, the normal belief is. Can you think of anything else that mm. might follow that? I'm trying to. I just, good question though, because clearly I've never had it before because I can't think of anything. Um, like that. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. Your mission is complete. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I think there's probably quite a few things that, I think differently. Um, I'm not necessarily sure. I just, I read something recently that I guess changed my mind about things a little bit when it comes to staff. So they would, it was just a quote that said um, that you work for your team, your team don't work for you, which I loved. And it's, it's very true. Um, and that kind of hit hard for me recently, uh, but it's not, I, I think I just, you know, took that from someone else. But I really like that one. That's fine. I think I think all of every single thing that we know um, or believe came from someone else. I, you know, you know everything. Oh, right? of course. So that's, that's definitely oh, that's what uni teaches you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, if you ran a school, well, a really nice segue there. So the university. If you ran a school but could only teach one non-traditional lesson, what would that be? Ooh. Probably community building. And what would that look like? I would say, well, I have my three C's of community. And so they are content, collaboration and consistency. So content is, of course, you know, identifying the types of content that your audience actually responds to and resonates with. 
um, community. I mean, sorry, community is not one of the C's of community. <laughs> uh, I did see that once. I saw someone write like the three C's of community or something and community was one of them. And I'm like, I feel like community can't be one of the C's, buddy. Um, <laughs> community, community, is- and community is the three C's of community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three C's of community, community <laughs> times three. Yeah. Um, and then there's collaboration. So, you know, whether that is collaborating with influencers, whether that's collaborating with, you know, other pages in your niche on Instagram, for example, whether it's creating, collaborating brand to brand. Um, I think collaboration is always like the key to growth. Uh, and then consistency as well. So understanding that the consistency isn't only great for building, I guess, like front of mind positioning through repetition, but it's also on social media a lot of the time how consistently you post will affect your organic reach so like the algorithm wants you to be more consistent in your posting so crash course to my university subject would be the three c's of community nice i like that what book or books had the biggest impact on your life definitely influence the psychology of persuasion um Robert Cialdini. Love it. I do not think that I would have started the fifth if I hadn't read that book. And so much of, you know, what I was already doing in marketing just made a lot of sense through reading that. Um, So yeah, things like scarcity, exclusivity, likeness. um, I think he has seven of them. I haven't remembered every single one, but probably influence, influence, influence. Yeah, the seven eyes of influence. They're all influence. (laughs) (laughs) nailed it um what actually um that's such a great book and i I love it when people make really really great book suggestions so i've got to ask like have you got maybe two others two others uh yeah i well yes and no i've i've read so many um i'm trying to think of one that i have loved good to great is awesome um I read this book. I can't even remember what it was called. I think it was called A Beautiful Question or something like that that was really, really interesting that was about the power of the question uh, and how you can, you know, spark so much more productivity and innovation through being able to ask a well-thought-out, well-structured question. So I really did love I can't even remember its proper name except it definitely stuck with me as I'm quoting it now. I love um, habit-forming products for anyone in tech, um, like how to build a habit-forming product. Um, I think that's Mia Eyal. I, I'm not sure if I just slaughtered his name. I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah, there are a few that just sprung to mind. Brilliant. Love that. And Influence is just my all-time favourite. So. Yeah. That's definitely... I probably these days I consume more podcast content than... Uh, necessarily sitting down and reading a book or I listen to the audiobook version as well. Um, love Audible. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you do that during sort of uh, dead time in the, in the day? Or are you multitasking um, or doing something else? In the morning when I first wake up, I listen to a podcast straight away because it just kind of gets my brain back into action slowly in like an easy way for me to be able to understand which is handy. There's two things I usually do when I wake up, listen to a podcast or, um, and or 
I set, this sounds psychotic, but I set my, people get repulsed by this, like people that meditate and are all calm when they wake up, I set my first task or to-do list as my alarm title. So whatever that might be, it might be like email back this person or do whatever. So I wake up to that notification of my first task of the day on people are like, that is a horrible way to wake up. I'm like, oh, I don't mind. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I mean, I'm not going to set it up. to be a horrific task, but it's, oh. a, it's a good way to remember what you need to do. Yes. Even I think my one this morning was just, it was really simple. It was just about leaving keys out for the cleaner. Okay. Usually they're more work related, <laughs> but like, it's just a really good way not to forget whatever you need to be doing in the morning. And I think a lot of people, including myself, like, find it hard to sleep if there's too much going through their mind. So mm. if I'm finding it difficult to sleep, I'll just make like a dot pointed out list of like the things that I'm going to do in the morning and that I can get out of my head right now. Do not think, think about because I know they're on a sheet of paper. Probably why I get upset at the waiter for not writing down my order. <laughs> and it's such a list maker. Well, I absolutely love how you've sort of done a natural segue into the next question, um, because the next question is, what does the first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like? And at what time does it begin? Great. Begins sometime today, begun, uh, earlier than usual. I was about 6.45 today. I am not a morning person at all. Oh. I will happily wake up at close to eight most days. My office is really close to my house. It's like a less than a 10-minute drive. It's a three-kilometre walk. Do you guys do kilometres over there? <laughs> we've got we've got both. We're, we're a little bit um, confused in terms of measuring Can you translate distances. a kilometre into a mile there? absolutely translate, yeah. About 3,000 metres. It's all good. It's not very far. Oh, cool. So often I'll, especially in summer, I walk to the office as well. So I'll walk there and home and that's when I can listen to podcasts and do things like that as well or sometimes I just you know I take my first meeting call and I just walk to the office um, on my call as long as it's not one I need to take a lot of notes for um, so yeah I think that's generally what my day looks like but I, I think you know most days probably closer to the 7 30 mark but I would find eight far more ideal I yeah I just don't I'm really not the 5 a.m type Friends have told me that, though. What does that first then, 30... Like, oh, we've got, um, we've got overlap here. Oh, what, what does the first 30 uh, to 60 minutes um, look like? Like, Do you have any particular sort of habits or routines or anything um, that you do in that, in that time? Other than the alarm thing, which I'm stealing the crap out of and definitely doing. I love the alarm. Yeah. Um, and I, I give myself quite a bit of time to just like chill out for the first almost hour. Like, like I said, I'll often just listen to a podcast and sometimes it's not even a work-related podcast. I love true crime podcasts, obsessed, mm. addicted. Um, my boyfriend thinks I'm going to murder him in his sleep because I listen to so much murder. I'm like, don't worry, Lucas. It's usually like women and children being murdered. It's fine. He's like, how do you listen to that? You are a female. You're deranged. I'm like, <laughs> Not really. I think I love that I more so listen to those at night, which sounds creepy, but it switches my brain off because they're interesting enough for me to get into to stop thinking about work-related things. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. My cousin, um, he got married a couple of months ago and actually 
um, in his wedding speech uh, to his um, new wife Beth, who's who's the lady that actually helped us find um, this particular fantastic villa in Thailand. Oh, incredible! Um, she he actually said in his speech as part of his promises to her that he promises to take her seriously when she's asking him to check under the bed for monsters after she's listened to one of her true crime podcasts. It's um, so true. Last <laughs> night I was convinced a coat looked like a man standing by my door. I was like, why do I do this to my Myself, but I love it. <laughs> um, have you got any advice for your previous boss or bosses in general? Ooh, previous boss or bosses in general. Um, I think what frustrated me the most with, I guess, bosses in general, or my previous boss at least, was because it was a corporate company and there was a board basically my job was always just to make my boss look good. Mm. So I I hated that. That was one of the first things I hated when I got into full-time work. I was like, but that's not, you know, that's not going to help do that. Um, I think just not blaming staff or anyone for making a mistake. I think understanding that if you lead a team, that it's your mistake sort of either way, basically. Um, that would be my number one piece of advice, I think. Also, I heard the Warby Parker guys speak. Uh, I did this really fun thing called Summit at Sea a few years ago. So it was like what kind of what we're doing but on a boat uh, and much larger scale so it wasn't really that intimate sort of mastermind sort of event. But I heard them speak and they one of the main things that they – say they do and I think it's in their company vision is assume positive intent so it's like whenever you're in an interaction whenever you're communicating with somebody assume that they mean whatever they're saying in a positive way so rather than taking offense or I think it works in every interaction so I just I love that and I definitely live by that and also by another quote George Bernard Shaw um said that the greatest, the the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. So if you're not able to communicate and get across and brief a staff member or a team member on what you want them to do and they come back with something that isn't what you wanted, you know, it was kind of your job to get that out in the first place. So that's another favourite of mine. Love that. Where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? Ooh, I think it's a hard one. I find our customers very inspiring. I do customer service a lot of the time. Um, So I'll just, I know, you know, sometimes you get a crappy email and whatever else, but a lot of the time it's just, it is the best way to interact. Like I always say customer service is the direct intersection between your product and your market. And there's no way that you're, probably going to learn more about your brand than just jumping on the customer service emails for a while. So my customers and our customers for our brands definitely inspire me. Um, I'm not one of those, I don't get that inspired. Like if I go to a conference and hear all these people speak, I really don't find that that inspiring or motivational personally. I have such an intrinsic or like internalized sense of inspirational motivation as well. I was a competitive swimmer. And you're just competing against yourself all the time. So I would say when I give myself space to 
take, I guess, what you'd call like a thousand foot view of your business or a hundred foot view at least of your business and look down and rather than being in the micro, get further into the macro. So giving yourself things like strategy days, um, meeting free days, things like that. Then I'm far more inspired when I come back again. But mentors for sure as well. I have um, a great mentor for Hay. His name's Mitch, um, the founder of Big Commerce. And he's incredible. So Big Commerce is, you know, a billion-dollar um, SaaS brand uh, and he has just been super, super helpful. And we jump on calls monthly but we message a bit as well and I'm just always so inspired after that call because they're very actionable too. I go away and I'm like, okay, like here are the next five things that I'm going to be focusing on for the next month. So, yeah, I guess they're the things that get me inspired and how did that relationship come to me i'm always intrigued as to um because there's lots of different stories as to how um mentor mentees become right like how they um yeah. how they start how did how did that relationship so start he's also nathan chan's mentor from founder and founder and i nate and i have start and scale our course together and so that's how I was connected to Mitch through Nathan and Mitch, Nathan had had such incredible results working with him and he came so well recommended. I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. Let's do it. Fantastic. And is that, is that, um, is that a, um, a, shall we say a free relationship or do you pay? It's paid. I think that it's great to pay uh, like for a service like that. Then you have a certain amount of somebody's time you don't feel like you need to do something back in return either. If it's, I have heaps and heaps and heaps of like mentor mentee sort of relationships where we both mentor each other basically. Mm. But I think, yeah, I think that when it does come to a mentor like that, it either needs to be paid or in return for something else like equity, for example, because, you know, I don't have, ne I don't necessarily have the time whereby I'd, yeah, I'd rather pay the money than give the time. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, if I gave you $5,000, how would you double it in 24 hours? Ooh, in 24 hours. Probably Facebook ads would be the quickest way to double it. <laughs> What's the best advice ever given to you? I would say still the most impactful, powerful advice that I've had was that time in Hong Kong where, honestly, my good friend just said to me, like, you know, everything that you fear, like, even if everything went under the next day, what would you be doing on Monday? And I was, like, starting again. It just seemed it's such an obvious piece of advice in a way. But at the same time, I think that people do really need to remember and understand that everything they're doing, everything they're learning is an experience. So even if, you know, you do fail or whatever else, you're going to be in such a better position to start all over again, again, because knowledge is the most powerful asset. Brilliant. What silly thing should people do more of? Oh, a silly thing people should do more of. I love these questions. They're out of the usual. You ask me a business question, I can literally fire it off just like bang. You ask me a normal human being question like this, and I'm always like, oh. <laughs> um, 
a silly thing people should do more of? I'm not even sure what people should do more of. What's yours? What would you oh, say? Yeah, about yeah, you've deflected it back. This isn't this isn't my time, Greta. This is your time. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, it's something. Um, I, I try and I try and find the funny in absolutely everything. Uh, even even really really sort of traditionally serious environments i'll look for a joke like if i'm at a funeral i'd be like oh what if some, what if someone tripped and the coffin fell Do you, know what, you know like um you know it's quite dark but but in in my in my head i'm like you know let, let's let's make every situation lighter because it's it's all about the perception of the situation it's not you know the situation isn't serious or not serious it's how you're perceiving the situation so let's perceive it in a different way in a funnier way because everyone needs to laugh more so that's my nailed it that answer what's yours <laughs> oh, don't now all i'm thinking that is your answer because <laughs> yeah i mean at the same time like i don't know bad things will happen and um just it's strange i i do i i would say that i react in a very similar way to that because you know you need to make the light light of things like that maybe Hmm. Do you dance around, or do you um, have guilty pleasures, or um, do you, uh, one of my favourite answers to this question? Whilst you think was um, from my friend Aaron Crowell, and what he does is he leaves um, reviews on Google Places. He leaves reviews on things that no one would ever review. So um, he gave me an example. He reviewed a cemetery like where where you know people are buried as a person that was buried 30 years previous he's like and it's like he's talking about like how you know it's nice and quiet there's not a lot of people i've got a good view i get the sun in the morning and we and we at the end of the uh at the end of the interview sort of agreed that what we're going to do next is we're going to leave a review for um heathrow terminal five the actual runway from the perspective of a plane you know the <laughs> concrete was, was firm the length was good you know i felt safe coming in that kind of thing sort of thing which completely pointless completely silly but um we both laughed right and and that's kind of the point i love that that's incredible when i used to play do you remember that game words with friends yes i used to just make the creepiest weirdest words up i mean i'd all words but i'd use some creepy word and then i'd message the person using that <laughs> word in a sentence and really creep them out so i don't know that's not really i guess I an example what, can you give me an example of a word play. can you oh. give me one example of maybe a word that would classify or qualify as I'm not creepy or sure they'd be appropriate <laughs> the interview. I used to just I don't know. Um no, I don't know. Um sorry, I suck at these random little <laughs> life questions. I really don't think I think about my own life very much. <laughs> That's absolutely, um, uh, it's absolutely fun and, and enjoyable anyway, being on the receiving end of, uh, of that. So that's absolutely 100% um, fine. And I'm sure you'll go away and go, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to be messaging you later. I'm like, oh, yeah, here. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Ooh. Like a hundred duck-sized horses. Why? I just feel like they'd be easier to fend off. Just a horse-sized duck. I, mm. I couldn't overpower physically a horse-sized duck, but I could 
several times at least. Over, I just think I would have more of a chance of fighting off the duck-sized horses. Okay, so this is a sort of flailing arms and legs type scenario, is it, for you? I saw that for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, How would you convince someone to do something good that they didn't want to do? Good that they didn't want to do? Mm. I think I would probably just justify it to them, make them understand i don't know is this a trick question <laughs> no, no. sometimes you have to convince people to do good things and they don't want to do them yeah um i i'm not really sure i think like it sounds terrible i'd probably just guilt trip them until they did it <laughs> <laughs> make them feel so bad that the thought of doing the thing is less bad than the, the guilt that's coming from the that would totally. work. I mean, most people want to think that they're kind of virtuous people. There's that whole concept of virtue signaling where people pretend to have certain virtues, like they're like, oh, you know, I'm a vegetarian because I don't want to eat animals, but I will wear leather at the same time. You know, it's just like it's a bit funny. Mm. Um, so I think that most people under it all will probably want to save face at the end of the day. I like that. And then final question. Greta, you've been amazing. Gosh. Final question. <laughs> what makes you happiest? I think nature. I think, like, I just went skiing on the weekend. I like surfing. My boyfriend's really into camping and he drags me along, but I pretend to hate it. And I used to cry all the time, actually, and now I actually really love it. Um, I think nature brings out such a childlike energy in people and I just I have the most fun you know you know things like skiing and surfing are more adrenaline but even just you know going for a walk in a beautiful forest or something like that like they're very mindful moments so I guess like there's mindful where your mind is like full of crap and then there's mindful where you're just taking in your actual surroundings and really being present so I think being present is what makes me happiest and nature brings that out in me that's a phenomenal phenomenal answer which has inspired me to ask one more sorry um what would you what what would you say what would you do that silly one where I'm like I have no idea maybe I'm a very serious person I don't think I am though What would you say to someone who's considering coming out to our Kosamui um, event and is, is on the fence? I'd just say it is like it's a perfect fusion between a holiday where you're learning at the same time. Like to me, that's just a no-brainer. I'm like why would I not go away to like a beautiful tropical destination where I am so looked after, you're going to be weighted on hand and foot, you're going to get to experience such incredible things but with such incredible people and just expand your network, I guess, like, you know, there's obviously the whole saying, your network's your net worth, but a lot of the, you know, the things that I've done and the opportunities that I've been able to participate in have been because of certain people that I've met along the way and you just... I guess you don't know what that missing piece is in the puzzle or in your life until you find it a lot of the time. And, like, I don't think as entrepreneurs or 
business people or whatever you want to call yourself, like that we put ourselves in those situations enough necessarily, like that we really open up to people. You might have surface level networking discussions and whatever else, but I think events like this, you feel, you form friendships for life. So it's going to be pretty incredible. Wow. Come and be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do silly things together. I love it. Uh, that, what an amazing friends. What was I thinking? <laughs> it was a great answer. It was a real yeah, answer. I will give you a better one when I see you. In Samui. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Google Translate to tell me, I think. Um but I, I trust you, but I, I wanna just hear a robot voice saying it is what I mean. So um Greta, you've been absolutely um, phenomenal. Like, genuinely, I've had a lot of fun. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Do you have any asks or requests of the audience? Come to Thailand. <laughs> I would say it would be a good one. Uh, no, outside of that, uh, I guess, just if you're interested in anything social growth or influences check out hey of course um outside of that i've just had fun chatting sweet as have i i even ask things i don't know i was i'm still a bit funny with that i still feel funny asking people for things um and and that is a reflection of your um generous nature so um i wouldn't feel worried about that at all um greta you're an absolute rock star it's been a pleasure to um to to hear your story to hear your um your advice your wisdom um and and and, and all of your answers to your questions um it's clear that you are a very rounded lovely individual um who also absolutely crushes business sometimes by accident but it's still the crushing happens so um thank you so much for spending the time with us today thank you i had so much fun Hey, Martin here again with an audio goodie bag of a bonus before you head off. First up, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please subscribe and follow Smarter Destiny across iTunes, YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. It really helps spread our message and you'll get valuable content along the way too. Secondly, if you have an e-commerce business or are thinking of starting one, grab a copy of my new book, 1% Secret, recommended by Kevin Harrington and a host of other elite guys even better it's free just help out with the shipping costs so head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash book to grab your free copy thanks so much and i'll see you on the next episode